You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning. It had been three years since Jesus called me and my brother Andrew out of that boat. I'll never forget what it was like to hear those words, come, follow me. And it was a wild three years. How many times Jesus left us speechless. So many things that we experienced. We had never seen anyone stand up to the religious leaders the way that they did and speak so boldly, so full of authority. Never forget it. I'll never forget what it was like to see Jesus just feed thousands upon thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Man, we'll never forget what it was like, me and my brothers, clinging on for our lives in a boat in the middle of the biggest storm we'd ever seen. And Jesus stands and speaks to the wind and the waves. Have you ever seen someone command the wind and the waves? And with that same tone of voice, with that same authority, he would speak to demons and they would flee before him. Those were a wild three years. It changed my life. But I'll tell you, all of that, everything that we experienced in those three years, led right here to this table. I can't see a loaf of bread. I I can't even sip a cup of wine without my mind being brought back to that fateful night. Do you know that that was the last time all 12 of us were together? The last time me and my brother sat with our Lord and just ate a meal. And I'll be honest, for a while I hated that night. It took me some time to not get angry every time I thought of that night and how it went down. But as as weird as it sounds, I'm telling you honestly, I'm more grateful for this night than any other night I've experienced. Because you see, every single word that we heard Jesus say, every miracle that he did, every action that he did, the, the whole reason why he came and called us in the first place, it all led right here to what he gave me, to what he showed me at this table. Everything I ever needed, everything I ever wanted was right here. And so I don't know your story, friends. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what it is that you're looking for. But I will tell you this, that what you need to fill the longing of your soul, the thing that you desire to quench the thirst of your longing, it is found right here at this table. And I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about drink this morning. I'm talking about that time where where your anxiety is on overdrive and you don't know what to do. What you need is right here. I'm talking about those times in your life where where other people's opinions, the weight of it is just so heavy and, and you don't know how to get out from underneath it. What you need is right here. Those times where you feel parent guilt and you're kicking yourself and you're beating yourself up and and you don't know what to do, it's right here. There are times in your life where you're seeking pleasure and, and you dive headfirst into pleasure and you hit the bottom way faster than you ever thought you would. And you just think to yourself, I wish there were more. Isn't there something more in life, friend? The more is right here. Jesus showed me on that night 
that everything I ever wanted, that everything I ever needed, the thing to satisfy my soul was right here at this table. And so I've told my assistant, Mark, about everything that happened in those fateful days. I told him, and I trust that he will tell you all of the events that led up to this table. And I trust that as he shares with you that the meaning of this supper, that the events of this night will explode in your heart with fresh revelation and with new meaning. And that you will realize that everything you need, not just to transform your life, but to transform your approach to life, is found at this table. And so listen to him. Thank you, Peter. Can we thank Peter this morning? Do you know what it takes to get one of the original 12 to agree to come and speak at your church? That was, thank you. And so like he said, he gave all of the details of that night to Mark. And so for the next few moments, let's listen to how Mark tells us the evening went. We start in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. This is God's word for East Point Church. This is the Last Supper. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Let's pause our story right there. Last week was Wednesday. Today is Thursday. It is the first day of this week-long fast. The first day of this seven-day holiday where they are celebrating their exodus out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so the disciples, they say to Jesus as they're staying in an Airbnb outside of the city limits. They're staying in Bethany and they say, Jesus, it's time to celebrate. How would you like to celebrate the holiday? What would you like to do for the opening festivities? And so Jesus gives them plans says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into Jerusalem, which makes sense. Everybody had to have the Passover in Jerusalem. That's why people came hundreds of miles away, pilgrims to eat in Jerusalem. So go into Jerusalem. Like, okay, got it, check. And he goes, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. Okay. And as he gives them instructions, the instructions become strangely specific. He starts telling them things that that make you wonder, how do you know? Have you already been here? Did you already make plans? Did you email someone? Do you have a wedding planner going on here? It gets strangely specific. He gives them details. He starts telling them about people they haven't met yet and about about conversations that they haven't had yet. And, And as they continue to write instructions, he says, you'll meet an owner and And that owner will not only have a house, but he'll have an upstairs. I want you to go. He has a room for people like us. Tell him I want to use it. And so they they go into Jerusalem, and they find it. Look what it says. They find it just as he had told them. We've seen this before, right? On When Jesus came into Jerusalem for the first time on Palm Sunday, remember he said, you're going to go, you're going to find a donkey, tell the guy, they're going to give it to you. You're gonna, and, and it's this moment where you go, Jesus, have you already like gone ahead of us? No, this is his prophetic 
foreknowledge. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows exactly what they will find in Jerusalem. Jesus knows what awaits the disciples in the city. Which means he knows exactly what awaits him in the city. Nothing that is about to happen in Jerusalem will be a surprise to Jesus. Mark could have just told us, yeah, they went into the city. No, he gives us these details. He shows us just how specific, just how nuanced Jesus' foreknowledge was here so that we would understand nothing that is about to happen in Jerusalem is a surprise. Everything that's ahead of Jesus, the betrayal, the beatings, the arrest, the crown of thorns, the trial and the crucifixion, every single thing, he knows exactly what's coming to him. And he goes anyway. You see, Jesus walks willingly toward his death. How many of you would willingly walk into a trap that would end your life? How many of you, if you had 24 hours of foreknowledge, if you knew what was about to happen on the day that you would die, how many of you would be like, oh, all right, change of plan. We are not following this itinerary, right? Jesus, why don't we lay low? For a little bit. You know, I, I, got a, like a, I got a smoker in the back. Let's do our own Passover lamb. We're going to let things calm down in the city. If you know this is coming, Jesus, just let's just avoid it. But he doesn't. He knows exactly what's coming, and he goes anyway. Why? Well, look at the date. It's Thursday. It's the first day of the feast. And what do they do on the first day of the feast? This is the night where they sacrificed the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, when God's judgment came upon the Egyptians and their gods, the angel of death came over Egypt and was destroying evil. But God told them, I want you to sacrifice a lamb. I want you to paint the blood on the doorframe. And what a visual statement. As if all of, uh, of, of Israel understood, we are just as guilty, we are just as deserving of punishment as the Egyptians. But, look at the blood, a lamb has already been punished for us. And when God saw the blood, he would pass over their houses. And so this is the day that they sacrificed in remembrance of the Exodus, the Passover lamb. And so Jesus, he is going knowingly, he is going willingly toward his death on the night they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Why? Because this is why he came. To come and be God's sacrificial lamb. You see, that lamb, that sacrifice, that visual aid was a shadow. It was a dim reflection of what was to come. And Jesus says, I am what was to come. I am the fulfillment. The lamb finds its fulfillment in me. And so we need to understand here, Jesus is not a passive victim. He is not taken captive against his will. He is going intentionally, eyes wide open, like a lamb to the slaughter. On the day that they slaughtered the Passover lamb in order to be the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Can we just pause there for a second? I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know if, if, what, what your relationship is to the church or if you have religious hurt or, or what you think about religion and God. But, but can we just cut through all that for a moment and just realize, look how great God's love is for you. Here's the picture of God in the flesh, willingly walking to his death for you. 
We all know what it's like when people are annoyed by us. You know what I'm talking about? People are annoyed by you. There are people in your life that say, you're not even worth my time of day. And here's Jesus standing saying, you're worth giving my life. I'll give you more than my time. I will give you my life. Have you ever felt uncared for, unloved, unseen, unworthy, and yet here is your God saying, I will give you my life. I will die in your place to atone for your sins. I'll stand in your place as a substitute. And he does all of this because he loves you. Romans chapter 5, it says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we see Jesus knowingly and willingly moving toward his death, may we never graduate from the simple message. God loves you. Jesus loves me. This I know. 4 Mark 14 tells me so. That's how the song goes. He is willingly walking toward his death, and he is motivated by his love for the world. Man. And so they go, and they find it just as he said. And look how the scene unfolds. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And so they're eating the Passover in the upper room. And it's Jesus and his boys, and they're, and they're cutting it up. And you imagine the meal, and they're celebrating, and, and they're reading the readings out of the Psalms. You know, thanks be to God. And they're, and they're drinking, and they're, and they're quoting the Exodus, and they're rehearsing the story. And, and you know, that moment in the evening of just, ah, it's good. And it's right at this moment, right at this pause, where Jesus drops a bombshell announcement on the room. And he gives this startling news, and he says, one of you will betray me. So you have to remember, for, for the better part of a year now, Jesus has been warning them, when I get to Jerusalem, they will betray me. When we get into the city, they will arrest me. They will seek to destroy me. They will kill me, but don't worry, I'll rise on the third day. They will, they will, they. And he comes around the table, and he says, they is actually one of you. It's one of you, one of my brothers. And, and you just as you read the story, you can't help but grasp the depth of this betrayal. I mean, this is a treacherous betrayal. It says one of you, not someone in the crowd. There's not like a random plus one where like somebody invited their like second cousin twice removed, you know, by marriage to come have dinner. No, no. He says one of you, one of the twelve. One of you who's dipping their bread in the cup with me. Like when you're at Olive Garden and you're like, pass the breadsticks and you just, and you want more of the oil. Like one of you who is enjoying such close proximity to me. We're eating the Passover together. You're on the very short exclusive list of those that I'm celebrating with. This is one of you. 
will betray me. It's just hard to imagine the, the treachery. In the Middle East culture there, to share a meal together was the universal sign for peace and unity. When I invite you to sit at my table, that's me saying, I accept you. And in that very space, in that very act, is where Jesus tells us, one of you will betray me. I don't know how you would respond to that announcement, but they start going around the table, and it says that they became sorrowful. I imagine, you know, even feeling a little bit insecure to go, is it me? I mean, I, I, I don't think so, but is it me? And just, am I spiritually weak? Am I the one who will do this? And, and it says one after another, is it I? Jesus, is it I? Is it me? Will I do it? And I, I realize this as you read. It says one after another, which means they went around the table, which tells me that even Judas, even Judas, at some point in that little exchange, asked the question to Jesus, feigning innocence. Is it I, Lord? How treacherous. Even when he's ousted, even when Jesus says he knows, Judas is still playing along. There's something in Judas that even though he's already betrayed his convictions, even though he's already sold out his Lord, there's something inside of him that knows enough to play the game and to keep up appearances and to pretend in front of the others. Is it I, Lord? And if anybody here is wondering, why did Jesus need to die in the first place? I present to you exhibit A. The very condition that plagues Judas is the same condition that plagues every single one of us. In Judas, we see the sin that plagues humanity. In Judas, we see this condition that affects every single one of us. We are capable of this, the bold-faced, shameless ability to look at Jesus in the eyes without even breaking a sweat, knowing that you have 30 pieces of silver in your pocket, and to say, is it I, Lord? This is what sin does. Sin is a sickness. Sin is the only sickness where one of the symptoms is, it tricks you into thinking you're not sick. Every other sickness, you go, I'm sick, I need help, doctor, please. But sin is the one sickness that one of the symptoms is to cause you to go, I'm good, what are you talking about, I'm fine. Sin deludes us. It deceives us. We deceive ourselves. And we see an acute, acute condition of it in Judas. This is why Jesus is going to the cross, because that condition lives in all of us. And so my point is this, the betrayal of Christ highlights our need for Christ. I am just as fickle. I am just as capable of violating my convictions as Judas was. We've all betrayed God in countless ways, haven't we? We are all fickle. We are all capable of going through the motions. We are all capable of saying the right words and doing the right things all along while our hearts are far from God. Every single one of us in this room, we can't lie. We know what it's like to keep up appearances and to put on the mask and to know that it's not happening in here. We're all like Judas. And so this is a hard scene for me to, to even discuss because on the one hand, I despise Judas. 
What a snake, right? You just, you can't help but judge Judas. You know what I mean? Like hashtag judge Judas now because how could you? And then on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but I kind of could see myself doing the same thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is a dude who was lured away by money. How many of us would say we are above the temptation to be lured away from our convictions by money? Right? Maybe it's not money, but how many of us have been lured away from our convictions by the promise of notoriety and fame? How many of us have been lured away by the promise of comfort and ease? How many of us have lost our way because we have been chasing career success and accomplishments? So we look at Judas and we go, man, what a snake, but so am I. Because in moments of weakness, we have all abandoned our convictions for a pleasure that bottoms out faster than we thought possible. Am I lying? We see the evil in Judas, and we know the evil in our own hearts. And this is exactly why Jesus is walking willingly toward his death. Because we are all, like Judas, in need of Jesus. And you see, here's the good news. Because of what Jesus is about to do, because of the sacrifice that he's about to give, not only will we experience forgiveness of our sins, not only will we be wiped clean, we will also experience freedom from the power of sin. Because of what Jesus is doing, our hearts that are addicted to self and sin, our hearts that are chained into this condition that we see in Judas, Jesus says, not only will I forgive you, I will free you from the power of your sin. Jesus is transforming our capacity to follow him. He will turn sinners and debtors into sons and daughters. The son of God will die for Judas's so that Judas's can live as sons and daughters of God. He will transform us through his sacrifice from sinners and debtors into sons and daughters. And so he sits around the table And he says, one of you will betray me. And just what a boss move. Can we just see the manliness of Jesus here? For him to say, I know you know I know. Right? He's he's telling them in front of them, hey, I know what's going on here. Now you know I know you know I know. Right? It's like just, hey, there is nothing secret happening here. I am fully in the know. And what a statement, right? What What a boss statement to Judas. Hey, Judas. Don't get it twisted. Nothing you're doing is catching me by surprise. Nothing you're doing is taking me off, catching me off guard. I am fully in the know of what you're doing. And I'm still allowing it. Which is why when they all ask, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Jesus? Tell us, who is it? How many of you know that Jesus could have easily said to the other 11, uh, it's him. Right? What would 11 of your closest friends do if you just said, yeah, that guy, he's about to kill me. Like, I'm not going to say any names, but his name rhymes with Buddhists, okay? I'll let you guys figure it out. He could have easily put, hit the brakes on this entire operation, but he says, no, Judas, I know what's happening, and I still allow it. What a statement to the rest of the disciples. I know that these people are plotting against me, but please, disciples, don't get it confused. Please, East Point Church, don't get it confused. This has always been God's plan not theirs. Look what it says, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Don't be dismayed. Don't be confused. This is all according 
to plan. Disciples, I know that my upcoming death may rattle your faith. I know that it's going to shake your belief in who I am to see me crucified. I know that when you see me hanging from that tree, you will question everything you've ever been taught and go, was it all a lie? But in that moment, I want you to remember right now, I'm in control. No one is taking my life. I am laying it down willingly. I know it's coming. And so woe to that guy. Whoa, right? Judgment and condemnation are his. Man, he's going to wish he was never born because he is liable for what he has done. But he's not responsible ultimately for what I am doing. No one is taking my life from me. I am laying it down for you. Have you ever been hit from left field with bad news and right field? and center field, and a ground ball up the middle, right? Seriously, have you ever been blindsided by, blindsided by tragedy? Have you ever had such bad news in your life that it literally feels like the controls of your life are out of control, right? And it, and it just feels like you don't even know what to do, and, you, and you're shook, and you're rattled, and you can't believe the amount of pain that just showed up on your doorstep. But here's what Jesus would have you know. Your tragedy and your pain does not surprise God. I know you're surprised. I know you're shook to the core. I know you're rattled. But God is firmly in control, and he's never improvising. He's never rerouting. He's never thinking on the fly. Everything is happening according to his sovereign will, and he invites you to take comfort, to rest confidently in his sovereignty. He invites you to come and rest to bring you to a place where you say, I don't have the answers. I don't even have a clue to the answers. But I have him. And I trust him. Because I can trust the one who gave his life for me. I can trust the one who is willingly going to the cross for my behalf. And if he did that for me while I was a sinner far away from him, how much more can I trust him now that I'm his son and daughter? This is perfectly under his control. And so he gives them that announcement. And then he ends the meal with this. Look at the last few verses, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, he, he picks up the bread. And he says, this, this is my body. And then he, he picks up a cup and he says, this, this is my blood. And you see, you have to understand that a Jewish meal, every single thing on the table had significance. Every single part of the table setting, every single thing on the menu, it wasn't on the menu because you're pregnant and you had a craving. No, it was on the menu because this was an illustration of powerful truth. And so Jesus, he picks up these ancient symbols. He picks up these emblems that have been celebrated for hundreds of years. And he says, this is me. 
and he infuses new significance into centuries-old symbols. I want you to imagine for a moment, right? I'm hungry. I want you to imagine for a moment. You come over to my house for Christmas dinner. And you're like, wow, I get to have Christmas dinner with Pastor Sam and Jordan and their kids. Oh, my goodness. And, and we're eating dinner. And I go, all right, guys. Five-second rule. All right, guys. I want you to see to the right of your plate, I have a candy cane there. If you want you to pick up your candy cane, you pick up your candy cane. And you say, do you know the story of the candy cane? Do you know the significance of this candy cane? Yeah, a long time. It's me. Every time you see a candy cane from now on, I want you to realize that it actually reflects my shepherd's staff as your pastor. And your candy cane was me. As a matter of fact, the designer of the candy cane, he knew all along that one day I, your pastor, would come. And he gave you this symbol so that you would always think of me as you saw a candy cane. You're like, wow, time to go already, huh? That got weird. I go, wait, there's more. Do you see this Christmas tree? Do you know what this Christmas tree means? Every time you see this Christmas tree, I want you to remember your pastor because I moved three years ago from the Pacific Northwest, Washington State, the evergreen state where these Christmas trees abound. And so this Christmas tree is your reminder to think of me. Psycho alert. You just, you think that all of these things from Christmas are actually about you. Wow, this is a problem. That's what Jesus is doing. Is all of it. Yeah, it's me. Jesus, you're 33. What are you talking about? That was hundreds of years ago. I know. It's me. Just as the Passover lamb reminded you of the sacrifice that was made on your behalf, so too now you see this bread and this cup. And this is a picture the broken bread, the, the poured out wine. This is a picture. This is an illustration, a visual aid of the crucifixion that you are about to witness. And he infuses this new significance. He says, my body will be broken. My blood will be spilled. But don't miss it because it's not just a death. It's not just that I will be killed. No, no, no. It says, this is a sacrifice. He says, this is going to be poured out for many. I am going to die on their behalf for their benefit. This is not just me being killed. He doesn't just say, I'm going to die. He says, no, I'm going to die for many. Just as the Passover lamb was given for the atonement of sins, so I lay down my life as a sacrifice for many. East Point Church, the life of one is given for many. This is what we call the great exchange. And if you've never heard of this, you need to tattoo this to your chest. You need to write this down in your Bible, whatever. But this is the great exchange. The reality that Jesus Christ is the only one who ever lived a perfect life. He's the only dude in human history who perfectly obeyed the laws of God. He's the only one that deserves to stand right here in God's good graces. He's the only one who deserves to stand in the spotlight of God's affection and heavenly reward. He earned it. He deserves it to stand right here. And yet he shows us that because of his great love for you, he instead chooses to stand right here. He takes your place. He stands in the place of sinners. He receives the death and the beating that we deserve 
and he lets us. He gifts us his place. And so now we stand in the spotlight of God's affection and grace, and we are close to God. When God sees you, he doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't roll his eyes. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's you, because all he sees is you draped and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Everything that God, that Jesus earned, he gifts it to you, and now you are in Christ. Think of it like a bank account, right? I think our society knows a little bit of something about credit card debt, right? And so imagine an impossibly large debt. Jesus doesn't just pay our debt. We gotta be, we gotta understand this. He doesn't simply pay our debt. He doesn't simply trade us an impossibly indebted account for a for a blank slate. You're now at zero. Good luck with that. No, no, no. He takes our debt and he gives us his account where he was rich. In righteousness. He gives us an account that doesn't just get us to zero. We are now wealthy with God's will. We have, we have a, a ton of credit in our account from him that we can stand before God in confidence. You are in Christ when you stand here. And so he treats you as Christ. This is the great exchange. I love what he says. He doesn't just say, I'm pouring out my blood. He says, this is the blood of the covenant, right? Like, think of marriage. This is a covenant. My death is a substitutionary death that connects God and man, not as acquaintances, but in close relationship to one another, in covenant relationship. And so let me say it this way. Here's my testimony summed up in, in seven words, whatever it is. Because of the death of Jesus for me, God and I are good. <sighs> We're good. He loves me. He likes me. He sees me better than I wish he did. But he loves me more than I ever hoped. I'm good. And everything in my life flows out of this singular reality because of the great exchange I'm good. You see, when you come to Christ, when you pray, when you cry out to God in faith and you ask him to save you, he applies Jesus' atoning work to your sins. He takes your sin and shame and nails them to the cross. He exchanges your sense of condemnation for a confidence that when God sees you, he just sees you clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he treats you accordingly. Friends, when you cry out to God in faith and you ask him to save you, you are standing in his place because he is standing in yours. I love that when he's around the table, notice this. You gotta notice the details. He doesn't just say, that, yeah, that's now me. That, yeah, that cup is now me. He doesn't just point and identify the symbols. He, he gives it out, right? He, he, he doesn't just break the bread. It says he gave it to them. And he says, take, take. He, he served them. I don't know if he had a towel on his arm or what, but he went around the table, take this, take this. Take this. This is for you. Take this. This is for you. I want you to participate in this. It's not just a symbol. It's a personal reality that you will experience. 
I love that when he pours the cup, he doesn't just say, yeah, uh, next time you do it, that's me. You know, he takes and he goes, drink. And it says, all of them. See, they all drank it. And again, Mark is giving us the details to show us this is Jesus' desire that we would all participate in the substitutionary death, the great exchange. When you cry out to Jesus, when you dare to believe that he would do this in love for you, you come to know the truth that Jesus stands in our place so that we can stand in his. This is what you need. I told you at the beginning, everything you're looking for, the thing that you want to satisfy the longing of your soul, the thing that you need to just quench your hunger for more, it's found here where you are at peace with God. Because of what he has done, I'm good with God. I'm good with God. And so others' opinions lose their ability to shape my identity because he calls me son and daughter. This is who I am. I'm good with God. So my anxiety for provision, it melts away as I realize my heavenly father who gave his son for me will not fail to give me everything I need. I'm good with God, and so I don't need to carry guilt and shame because Jesus carried it up that hill for me. I'm good with God. I don't need to achieve. I don't need to accomplish more to prove my worth. No, that dwindles because Jesus finished it. I'm good with God. I don't need a mask. I don't need to pretend because he sees my flaws and he loves me anyway. I'm good with God. And so I don't come into relationships needy for validation and affirmation. I'm good with him. His unconditional love is not based on my level of perfection. I'm good with God. And so that nagging, that nagging worry, that nagging sense of you're not good enough, it is drowned out by the waterfall of God's love because Jesus is good enough and I stand in his place. I'm good with God. And so my soul can heave a sigh of relief because I no longer am trying to run an impossible race because Jesus ran it for me. I'm good with God. And what can separate me from this love? What can man do to me? What can you say about me? If God is for me, who can be against me? If I never achieve another thing in my life, friends, God loves me. Nothing I do can make him love me more. <laughs> Nothing I do can make him love me less because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so I love you, but not that much. <laughs> not enough to care and let you shape my identity. I love the world. I love the community. Not enough for them to tell me whether or not I'm good enough. I'm good with God. Jesus stands in our place so that we can stand in his and so what do you need this morning? Where does it hurt? Where's the hole in your bucket of joy? Where does your soul just ache? I promise you, everything you need is found right here. And so I'm going to pray. But after I pray, we're going to participate in communion together. We're going to participate in this Last Supper. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have emblems, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to give those to you. But here's what I want to do.
as we hold the bread, as we prepare the cup, I want you to consider all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt that you have racked up in your account. And I want you, as you participate, to realize he paid it for you. He gifts you his righteousness. I want us to to have gratitude well up in our hearts, humility as we realize, look how much God loves me, that he gave his life for me. But I also want to talk to you. Maybe you're here this morning and and this is new for you, right? Like you might not be a follower of Jesus and hey, welcome. That's okay. You don't have to believe like us to be here. And so maybe this was the first time in your life that you even like understood, wait, God doesn't just want me to be good enough so that he can love me? Maybe this is news to you that, that God doesn't expect you to be good enough because you can't and that he did for you what you couldn't do on your own. If that's you, if this is new to you and, and you would say that you dare to believe that what Jesus has done for so many of us could also work for you. If you truly believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he would be willing to stand in your place so that you can stand in his. Friends, the Bible calls that faith. And the good news is that God always responds to faith. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to work hard. You don't need to to prove yourself. If you believe and you cry out in faith, God, please save me. Would you take my sins and put them on Jesus? Would you clothe me in his righteousness? Friends, if you are here and you are compelled by God's love to follow his call, which is follow me, then that's faith. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to just add your simple amen to my simple prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, God. And we are blown away by the simple truth that you paid our price. You stood in our place so that we can stand in yours. God, I admit I don't have enough in my account to earn your favor. I have not done enough to make you love me. Lord, I I fall so short of the standard. I admit that. But I dare to believe that you are full of love and grace and mercy and that you will adopt me into your family as I follow Christ. And so, Lord, I confess Jesus as Lord. He is the Lord of my life. He who forgave me my sins. He who freed me from the power of sins. I will now follow him for the rest of my life. No turning back. And Lord, I pray that for the rest of my life, you would uh, unpack for us just how much we have at this table. Lord, for the rest of our lives, as we follow you, as we open your word, as we grow as followers of Jesus, Help us to understand the unsearchable riches that we have in Christ and what he has accomplished for us at this table. And so, Lord, for all of my friends who prayed that for the first time, for all of those who are yearning, crying out from their souls right now, saying, Father, birth faith in them, I pray. Give them new hearts. Forgive them of their sins. Birth them into gospel community where they can grow and get roots. May the seed of the gospel not come back empty and void. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, if this is something new to you on your journey, we have a very small gift, a very simple resource at the Connect Counter. It's called The Story. It's like literally four pages. I'm going to invite you to come, stop by, grab that book, and it will explain 
so much better and so much more simpler than I can. But let's do this. Jesus, he grabbed the bread and he broke it and he distributed. And he said, take, 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 participate in my sacrifice, experience my love for you, take my atonement. And so in response to Jesus, let's take together. He then took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Because of the blood that was spilled on the cross, we are in covenant relationship with God. Nothing can separate us from his love. And in those moments where we condemn ourselves, in those moments where we want to beat ourselves, Jesus already took that beating. In those moments where we whip ourselves to try to pay for what we've done and when we try to wrong all of the, or right all of the wrongs by doing more right, he already paid it all. And so with hearts full of gratitude, let's drink the cup. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.